0: Salt Company, how are we doing? Hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Nate. Someone say hi, Nate. Hi, Nate. Oh, it's good to hear your voice. It's good to be with you. I get lonely up here, so if I ask you to talk to me, that's not rhetorical. I know you're used to the professor who's going to, like, lecture at you, but, but if I ask you to say something, I mean, say it to me, okay? If I say someone say, you are somebody to me tonight, okay? Wow. I think I just had a moment with some of you. Um, all right. I, I, I work at Doxa. blah, 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 we can get to know each other if you wanna hang out. Um, I, I was a SALT director before, I'm an old man now, but I love opening the Bible with you guys, and so we're gonna get into it. I got a question to get us going. When was the last time you were lost? And you're like, dude, I'm a freshman, I was lost tonight trying to get here, okay. Um, I I have a confession to make, I was lost a couple weeks ago on campus, all right? You guys know, like you've been to the terrace and you walk the, the Lakeshore Trail going back, right? Trying to get to waters or whatever. And there's this little woods area. So I got lost in that woods the other week. Is there, does, the wood, does that woods have a name? No, it's so small there's not even a name for it, right? It's just, it's just a couple of trees. But I was walking back with some friends at night. Have you been on that trail at night? Yeah, it's spooky. Someone say Spooky. <laughs> right, you, you have your flashlight and you're like hoping that there's nobody creepy in the woods or whatever. We were walking back to try to find our car and, and I saw the turn, the little trail to get through the woods. And, and I told my friends confidently who didn't know where they were going, guys, this is a shortcut. Don't worry. Because I'm thinking, I can see the lights. I'm just going to walk straight up and we'll be totally fine, right? So we walk a little ways into the woods. And then we, we have to turn on our, our flashlights on our phones because we're going to trip over stuff. But if you've ever been in the woods and you turn on your flashlight, it's almost like things don't get brighter, they get darker everywhere else, right? Like you can see a little bit of light in front of you and everything else gets darker. So we go from being on campus to find our car to all of a sudden like I'm in the woods. And we start walking and it's like, no, trust me guys, shortcut, not a big deal, let's go. And then I hit a sign that says detour. Like, how is this trail long enough to have a detour? But I'm like, trust me, believe me, I know what I'm doing. I've never been on this trail before, but we're going to get there. And so we take the detour and, and we start walking through some kind of like overgrown parts of the trail. And then we hit another sign that says detour. And so we turn again and, and I kid you not this short trail there were five or six different detours going on. And my friend in the back she listens to too many like, you know, murder show podcasts whatever, so she's like somebody's in these woods. There's a bear or a guy in a bear costume. There's somebody bad here. And and she's getting nervous and she's making me nervous because I thought I knew where I was going and I'm lost in woods that are so small there's not even a name for it when my car is right over there, right? So we, we live to tell the tale, but I, I literally got lost in that tiny bit of woods the, like a month ago. This was not that long ago. I'm a grown man, and I couldn't find my way through. And you're going to like walk by it tomorrow and be like, this idiot, whatever. Okay, but I, I'm going to be honest with you tonight. I need you to be honest with me, okay? When were you last lost? And again, you might literally be like, yeah, I'm a freshman. I've been lost for two weeks straight. It's fine. But but sometimes you're you're not sort of locationally lost, you're lost in other ways. Appreciate you, Jared. You got my back. Come on, man. But like like you came to college and you're like, okay, I get to be a new person, I get to build new relationships, whatever, and then all of a sudden you're kind of like, How do I do this? (laughs) Who do I want to be? How do I navigate this? or you've been in a relationship for so long that you you feel lost without that other person but you kind of know this isn't the right thing like I should have broken up a little while back and and yet and yet I sort of don't know where I would be without this person or, or any person like you've been so long without a relationship that it feels like you'd be lost without somebody Or maybe you've been pursuing a degree and and pursuing a career path that like, one time as a kid you decided would be good for your future, and now you're so deep into it, you're like, is this really what I want to do? But I've sunk three years into it. You're looking at the other side of graduation, right? Senioritis is a disease affecting hundreds of people every year, and you got it bad. But you're like, I don't know if I actually want to graduate because I don't know what's on the other side. Like, I don't like the career that I picked when I was a freaking freshman, dude. Like, I don't know about this, Right? Or, or again, maybe tonight you're wandering in here and your arms have been crossed the whole time and you didn't sing the words because you're like, I, I might, I, I don't know if I buy into this whole religion thing, but I know there's something that's not quite clicking in my life right now. and Maybe these guys have an answer. Maybe there's something here, but, but you don't know. I, I think underneath this, we, we all have sort of two ways we try to deal with our lostness. Two ditches that we run to, and, and, and I think you've probably seen this around you, if not experienced this in your life. One looks the most obviously lost, but it's a way that we try to deal with our feelings of lostness. The emotion inside, we try to we try to suppress it, push it down, stuff it deep. Th- this option has been offered to you the whole time you've been on campus. It's just partying, right? Hey, if you feel lost, at least you won't for a night. At least you have some people around you. Right, At least you'll have some, some people, but, but you kind of know, even if you've been in that world a little bit, like, man, if you stop smoking and stop drinking and stop going to that party, maybe these people wouldn't actually be my friends. But we're all trying to just for a night, for a moment, deal with the feeling we have of, of feeling lost. We never put that word to it, but that's what we've been feeling. We're in the woods, we're on the trail, and you know what? We're just going to turn off our flashlights and sit here for a minute because what else are we going to do? Just be here for now. Or not be here as much as we can for now and, and see what tomorrow brings. That's one way of trying to deal with the feeling of lostness inside of you. And again, whether you've been in that world or, or other people that you know very dearly are in that world. That's just, that's one way we're trying to deal with lostness. I think there's another way that, that looks less obvious. And, and I think actually many of you are probably living in this right now. If, if one option looks obvious is, is partying, the other option is Performing you've been taught your whole life and you're a UW student, you've been going after it, like just work hard, build the resume, build the career, go for it. Do this thing, show up, study, make it count, make it happen. And you've been so busy performing that you don't know how to not perform anymore. And so when you have this feeling of anxiety and lostness, your gut reaction, your instinct is, I've just got to work harder, i got to figure it out, i got to solve this, i got to go, i got to do this. And it's crushing you. But you don't know what else to do, and so you keep going. You're, you're in the woods, and you don't know which way to go, so you just sprint <laughs> until you hit a tree. And then you get up and you sprint the other direction. And, and, and you don't have a way out, but you just keep running, hoping something is going to work out for you. Because that's what you've been told your whole life. Again, it doesn't look as lost on the surface. It might, in fact, be very productive and have earned you a lot of accolades, but there is no grade you can get or or resume building activity or leadership position that can undo that feeling of lostness. Maybe that applause helped you for a moment, but you know when when your head hit the pillow, you still were lost, didn't matter. Those are two ways we try to deal with this feeling of lostness. I don't know where you're at tonight, where you've been, which one you gravitate towards, or maybe you've been bouncing one or the other, right? You party too hard one semester, you work too hard the next semester. Or I knew somebody who, who got into Yale and they dealt with their anxiety by, by smoking weed constantly. Just something to get out of here right now. Whichever one you feel like you've been in, all of us have experienced this feeling of being lost. Someone say lost. So what do I do when I feel lost? If the solutions that have been offered to me, if the things around me, the perspectives people have for me, if those things have not worked, what do I do when I feel Lost. Let's go to John chapter eight. I think we can find an answer for ourselves tonight. John eight, I'm gonna give you a little bit of context of what's going on here. We're gonna unpack the people's response to this amazing proclamation that we heard about Jesus, this, this phrase that he has for himself, light of the world, and then we're gonna see kind of what this means for us. John chapter eight, starting in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's what's going on. There's a festival in Jerusalem where Jesus is right now called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. God's people were celebrating them being freed from slavery in Egypt, and then God brought them through the wilderness for 40 years on their way home, and he guided them with a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. So in this incredible festival, kind of celebrating it, remembering it, writing that story again, here's what they would do. That one night they would walk around with these massive torches in the temple, lighting up the night and symbolizing God leading his people in a giant pillar of fire. It's in that moment, it's on that night, it's with that in mind that Jesus looks at these people around him, these religious people, and he says, I am the light. That is a crazy claim to make, right? They've been celebrating God being the light. And Jesus looks at them and says, no, I am the light. And look back at me. He says, the person that follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Not just know it or see it off somewhere, but there's something that Jesus is offering that's even better than a pillar of fire. It's actually having that light personally close to you. And he doesn't just say, I am the light of some religious people or one particular ethnic group, he says, I am the light of the world. There is a worldwide implication for this. Men and women all across the world seeing a light that would lead them through the darkness, through the wilderness, home. Jesus is saying, that's me. That is bonkers, gang, right? Like, that is, that is wild. Can you believe that? And if you're a good religious person and some guy gets up and says, hey, I'm God, like, that should shock you and blow your mind. Like, how are the religious people around Jesus going to deal with this massive claim he makes, claiming to be God? What are they going to do? Verse 13, so the Pharisees, the the religious leaders, the cultural leaders said to him, hey, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Now, that, that's a strange remark when someone says they're God. There, there's, there's something in that you need to see. He makes a theological claim, and they respond with a legal argument, okay? They, they You weren't allowed to give testimony like that about yourself in court. You needed witnesses. You need people to validate it. And they're saying, hey, listen, um, you didn't file the right paperwork, so we can't, we're not going to, we're just, we're not going to deal with that one, right? But but look what they said. That you didn't file the right paperwork. You're bearing witness about yourself, You didn't follow the right legal procedure, therefore your claim is false. I don't know if you're in any logic classes right now, but those two don't exactly follow together. Like if I told you, hey, I I used to have dreadlocks. One head just went, what? Right? Okay. I don't know whether you believe me or not. I kind of don't care if you believe me or not. But it would be okay if you said, prove it, right? Like show me some kind of evidence that that, that that really happened. But it, it wouldn't make sense for you to say, hey, I haven't seen the pictures, therefore you're automatically lying. D- does that make sense? They're, they're saying, listen, no, 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 you can't make that claim without witnesses, therefore it's automatically a lie. Now, now, these guys right here were the, performer, the performers. They were the top performers, top of their class religiously. These guys were, were the leaders of their day. Everyone had told them, you are doing excellently, and now they are leaders in the capital city. They're the best of the best. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and their performing muscles kick in, and they find a a loophole, a legal reason to tell them, no, no, this can't be the case. But they're using a brain argument, this legal thing, and exposing a heart issue. They're framing it in head terms, but actually their hearts are saying, no, this is not true, and we're going to find a reason around this. So this was a while back, but um, I knew a guy doing his PhD in physics of some kind. He was way smarter than me, so I didn't fully get it, right? He's like, physics. And I'm like, what? And he's like, okay, we're not going any further than this. Um, and we, we were in a bar one night talking, and he had a few more than me, so he was feeling very honest. And we were talking about faith and Jesus and, and all this stuff. He wasn't like so far gone that we couldn't have this conversation. You had, you had those friends? You're like, Jesus, man. And they're like, what? But we, we could have a conversation on this. And I was, I was talking about Jesus and what was going on in my life and, and he's like, listen, I'm a science guy. There's not enough evidence to prove whether God exists or not. And I'm not as smart as this dude, so I didn't know the right answers, but I, but I asked him like, what evidence would you accept? And again, he was feeling very honest. He said, I don't, I don't know. He had framed it in head terms, I need evidence, but it was really a heart issue. There wasn't actually evidence that he would accept to deal with this claim, and so he was giving a head reason to push it down. He was in the party ditch, like the Pharisees in the performance ditch, but both were, were giving reasons to cover up the heart issue really going on underneath. It's that lostness that they've been working so hard to get out of that when Jesus shows up and interrupts it, that they go back to what they've always known, a simple excuse or something and not dealing with the claim Jesus is making about himself. Ah, uh, there's not enough evidence, I don't know. And again, maybe you have said things like that yourself. Maybe even coming in tonight, you've been skeptical and doubting and you've said, I don't know, I don't get it, whatever. Could, Could just for a minute, could you maybe entertain the possibility with me that it's not just a head issue? Now, now don't turn off your brain in this room. Like, there are good questions to ask for sure, but maybe it's not only a head issue. Maybe there's a heart issue as well that needs to be dealt with. Okay, so so Jesus has these religious performers dodging his claim about being God by by going back to their performing muscles. How is he going to respond to this, this dodge that they give? Look at verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. He's like, hey, 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 A plus B does not equal C in this situation. You guys have missed it. That that doesn't make sense. My testimony could still be true for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I come from and where I'm going. You judge according to flesh. I judge no one. Someone say flesh. Flesh. Oftentimes when you see the word flesh, it's talking about just a purely human reasoning way of thinking. It's like locked in in only the physical when you and I know that, that there's more than just the physical going on. Even if you're kind of a vaguely spiritual person and not a Christian here tonight, you know there's more than just the physical in reality. We are integrated beings. We, we are spiritual beings and physical beings, not pitted against each other. But Jesus is saying, hey, you are judging me on purely what your eyes can see. And notice, he's performed miracles already in his ministry. He's done all kinds of crazy stuff that they were ignoring. But he's saying, you're using this, this simple reasoning, and you are missing the reality of what my claim is, what is going on here. You're not even grappling with the reality of what it would mean if I was the light of the world. You're judging me according to the flesh. And he says, I I judge no one. Now, Jesus walked through his life making some extreme claims like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light. I am the bread that we saw last week. But those were simple statements of fact. Those weren't necessarily a judgment on people. And, And it might feel like offensive sometimes for Jesus to say, like, no, this is what I am. I am the light of the world. But the people that were the most downcast, that were the most like, rejected people, the most often judged in his day, flocked to Jesus. When he made these claims about himself, the people that were the sinners and the prostitutes and and, and the ones that didn't fit in were drawn to him. But it was the, the stubborn performers that were the most antagonistic towards him. That's just something interesting you gotta look at, right? If you've ever said like, well, Christians are judgmental or this Jesus is judgmental, whatever. I don't know if you've actually like looked at how Jesus lived his life and considered these claims that, that he's making about himself, even if they ruffle your feathers a little bit. He's saying, hey, you judge according to the flesh. I'm not, I'm not judging you guys in this, but if your heart posture is such where you can't even see this claim, that is going to bear bad news for you later instead of good news. Look at verse 16. He says, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. I don't have time to get fully into it, but but Jesus is tapping on something that that for us might seem like a crazy claim. But all throughout the Old Testament, there were pictures of God being eternal, existent in heaven that people couldn't approach and see, and yet God showing up in human form, in human flesh. There was this picture, and it was common Jewish theology that God could do this all the way up to the 200s when Christianity started rising, and it became actually condemned because Christians would be like, yeah, dude, it's Jesus, right? So Jesus is saying, actually, God the Father and me, God the Son, we are bearing witness about who I am. You've seen it in my life, and you've seen these pictures all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. This is who I am. But notice he uses this father language. Someone say father. In a room like this, I know that word might have some some poor connotations for some, or maybe you didn't know your father. But what Jesus does in the history of Christianity is radical. He introduces God as father, and no one else was doing that. Like, you can trace back through different religions, this view of God as father goes back to Jesus. Even before him, they would kind of view God as the father of the nation, but but it was sort of this abstract thing, not this personal thing where Jesus calls God Father and he begins to invite people to call God Father. What he's showing us is this isn't just some path, another religion, another way of life, another way for you to try harder or to deal with your guilt. This is a way home. This is a way back to the Father who made you and loves you. There's something completely going on here in the history of religion and something different for you. The Father, He bears witness with the Son. How, again, are these religious folk going to deal with this big claim of Jesus? Look at the beginning of verse 19. They said to Him, therefore, in light of all of this stuff, in light of Him pressing and pressing and saying, No, it's true, it's true, they said, Well, where is your Father? Okay, man, where is your dad? Like, it, it seems so silly, but they keep dodging it, right? They keep trying to get around it. Like, we'll call your dad then, I guess. Like, now, it, it sounds dumb, but they might have been doing something really, really mean here, okay? If you're familiar with Christmas at all, you're like, okay, Jesus, born Virgin Mary, Mary and Joseph, all of that. Is that you guys know what I'm talking about? Someone say, yep. Okay, Mary and Joseph, right? You see them at the beginning, the nativity, Jesus' birth, all of that. And then later on in Jesus' life, you don't hear much about Joseph. So some scholars would say Joseph actually probably died when Jesus was pretty young. And so these Pharisees might have actually known that Joseph was dead. They were doing their research and doing their homework. They might have known that Joseph was dead. So like, all right, man, bring out your dad. Ooh, (laughs) that's bad, right? That is so mean. Okay. But they're resorting to anything they can to try to push Jesus down and not deal with the claims he's making. He is saying he is God, and they're trying to press him and poke him and hurt him however they can. And back in chapter 5, we learned that they've been trying to find a way to kill him. Their performance, their way of leading themselves and leading other people cannot deal with Jesus saying, I am a different way out of your lostness. So Jesus answers them. Keep going in verse 19. You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. The the most religious, the most performance driven, the people that were looked at in highest esteem for their accomplishment, Jesus says, hey, you don't actually know God. Let me just summarize what we see going on in this passage. Jesus is making an incredible truth claim about himself, but the Pharisees, the religious leaders, because of their heart condition, they're offering some head arguments, but it's a heart issue that's stopping them from seeing who Jesus is. Now, Saul Company, how do we not do the same thing? How do we not miss what Jesus has to say? Here's one thing I think could happen in a room like this. I think you could be looking for a way out of that feeling of lostness and hoping that salt company is almost like this magic pill. I take it once a week and it helps me deal with my aloneness or my sadness or my anxiety or my frustration. You're you're treating Jesus like you treat the bottle sometimes or going out and and he doesn't work like that. That, that's not what he's offering to you. That's not who he is for you. But I think others of us can treat Jesus like the Pharisees did, like, like he's there to help build your resume. Man, if I'm just a salt leader, if I just go on a salt company summer trip, if I just do, do enough of these things and show up for enough, enough stuff, then maybe I'll stop feeling lost. And it, it's still, it's not that. Jesus came saying, I am the light of the world. And if you come to me, you will have me. Not just have a path or have a way. He doesn't just drop a map in the woods and say, good luck, figure it out yourself. He actually came, God in human flesh, to walk with us. To be with us and to walk with us step by step through the wilderness home. That's who Jesus is. And he proved it for you. Again, he didn't just offer a few good religious tidbits, but over and over he proved it through miracles and then finally through death itself. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of the ways that we've tried to to work our way or party our way out of these feelings of lostness, performing for others or even performing for God, and he rose to life. He came back to life proving that he could even lead you safely through death itself and have life on the other side for you. So all come Jesus is the light of the world. And again, he says, if you have me, you have it all. You have a way back home. The God of the universe that made you and knows you and loves you, who gave you purpose and meaning and value, who put you on this earth and brought you to this room tonight, stepped into human flesh so that you could be with him have a way home here's how i would summarize this this question what do we do when we feel lost knowing jesus is the way home he's the light of the world so what do you do with this tonight if you're not a christian you you stumbled over here and you're like well i'm not an accountant so i guess i'll go to this thing right um or or your friend just brought you and they've been they've been talking to you and talking you're like fine they'll shut up if i come one time can can we just have a moment of honesty together? Like, what have you been doing to try to cover up your feelings of of being lost? Like, what compromises have you been making even to the person that you want to be to try to deal with this feeling of being lost? You've been partying, you've been performing, you've been doing it all. You know it's not actually gonna work. You know it's not who you were made to be. You know that, that the God of the universe actually is inviting you to so much more than that. So in a moment like that, when you see, man, I am not who I'm supposed to be, I'm definitely not who God is calling me to be, the Bible has a word for what we do in that moment. The word is repent. Someone say repent. You're like, no, I'm not saying that, right? It's got a hard edge to it, but it, but it basically means turning from something towards something else. You're turning from all of these strategies to try to deal with your feelings of lostness and turning to the only one that can deal with it, Jesus and you trust him, and you say, Jesus, okay, I'm done trying to do this on my own. I'm done trying to do this for myself. I'm in with you. I will trust that you can deal with my sin, that you dealt with it on the cross, and that that you will be my Lord and Savior and take me home, and then you have life with him now into forever. You trust him, And let me just be totally honest with you. There might be times still in your life where you you still aren't quite sure what's going on. But it is different having Jesus with you, guiding you, than trying to do it on your own. You still might not like your job, right? Or have to break up with that person. Those things still happen. But it is way different when you have the light of life than when you don't. If you're a Christian here tonight, if you've said, yes, I am with Jesus Give me something. Tell, tell me what I do with this. You're in exactly the right place. And get to know Jesus more and more in community. It's not a one-time thing where you kind of make a decision and move on. You actually get to walk with him step by step through life. And one of the best ways to do that is get around other people doing it too. There are so many people around you that would invite you to try to deal with your lostness all kinds of ways. But get around people that know Jesus with you. And learn to, to follow him together. Invite people into your life in the places where you you feel like I don't get it yet or it's not clicking. Invite men and women alongside of you to read your Bible and to pray and and to be somebody that walks with Jesus through the hard stuff of life. Like maybe you don't know what's going to happen in five years. Maybe Jesus has already been messing up your five-year plan, right? But just take the next step that he's inviting you to. The next step of faith, because he is trustworthy. Just like God led Israel faithfully through the wilderness, through every dark night, Jesus wants to walk with you step by step. He might not tell you five steps down the road, but he is with you as he walks with you one step at a time as he leads you home. You have big decisions in life and you are going to face suffering and hardship. But Jesus is never far away from you, even if the night is dark. Take the next step of faith, the next simple thing he's inviting you into. And I got one more thing for for you if you're a Christian here tonight. Sometimes Jesus feels distant. Sometimes Jesus feels far away, like you're not sure what's next because you've been playing with the dark. You've been trying to have the light of life but also live like everyone else around you. You've been saying, yes, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior on a Thursday night right now and then afterwards, who knows? Maybe God feels distant and the night feels dark, not because he's not there, but because you're not looking at him. Or he's inviting you to take a step and you are not willing to go there. Now again, there is suffering in times where you're doing everything he's inviting you into it, and it feels like you're being crushed or whatever. That's that a different situation. But for some of us here tonight, again, God feels distant and the night feels dark because you don't want to go where he's taking you. Would you just, would you surrender again? to Company, what would happen if we lived like a group of people that have the light of life? Not a group of people that are just like so smart we can answer every question or, or we can debate whoever, but we actually lived like we were walking step by step with Jesus. What would happen to your conversations with people about faith if you weren't trying to prove that you were smart or, or whatever, but that you actually just were introducing them to your friend Jesus who is leading you home and invited them to come home too? What would happen in those moments of anxiety and stress in your life if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, even if you can't see his hand, you can see his heart? And he is with you even on those dark nights. What would happen to your future if it wasn't about you having an iron grip on your next five years, but you actually had a a grip on his hand and let him walk you where you'd go? He might mess up your plans. He might take you some places you never expected. He might invite you into some difficult things but you could trust step by step he's bringing you home. Even if bringing you home means you move across the world to share the light of the world with people from, from every tribe and tongue and language or that person on your dorm floor that you just don't want to talk to. Saul so Company, let's be this kind of people, not because we're so special, but because we have a special God who stepped into flesh for us. Would you pray with me? I'm going to invite Zay to come up here. Jesus, tonight, would you would you be light for us? Would you illuminate those dark places in our hearts and our lives, and would you show us more and more of who you are, and teach us to trust you? We pray in your name. So, I mean, I'm going to give you a couple questions to just reflect on before we get fully into worship. I, I just want to give you a couple things to contemplate as we as we think about this truth of who Jesus is. If you're not a Christian tonight, would you would you be honest with yourself and with God of what you've been trying to do to cover up your feeling of lostness? Maybe it is the, the parties you've been going to or the, the grades you've been trying to get. Maybe you've been trying to cover it up by just numbing yourself with social media or whatever it is. Would you just take a moment and be honest with yourself and God of what that is? And, and if you want to tonight, come home. Just come home and trust Jesus to be everything he says he is. The one who can save you from your sin and bring you home to the Father. Have a seat at the table. If you are a Christian tonight, I just want to give you a moment to pause and reflect. What is the next step that he's inviting you into? Just just ask him, okay, Jesus, you are the light. What is the next step you're inviting me into? That might be something to confess and repent of. That might be the darkness you've been trying to to play with. That might be something really simple. But just ask him and listen and see what he says. Take a minute and do that and, and I'll pray before we get back into worship.